Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show. Joining me as always on Thursdays, The View from the Morning, uh, Dwayne Genelissimo Patterson of the Hugh Hewitt Show, Master of the Universe, H-U-G-H-N-I-V-E-R-S-E.com, the troll-free web surfing experience for Hugh Hewitt fans and listeners. Uh, he's got his after show at, uh, at nine now. Normally, I was I would be on Wednesday nights, but I got a bit of a head cold, so we're going to do my portion tonight on Thursday night. So if you're listening to the podcast, you can tune in tonight. You got to join the universe first, but you should already have joined the universe. Dwayne, welcome back. Good to be back. Sorry about the head cold. Um, I'm I'm really sorry. It broke your streak already for for Wordle. Oh, it's the most tragic thing ever. My 19 day streak is at an end. Uh, I had not yet. I had not missed on Wordle. What was most frustrating is I had four guesses with with four letters in place, and there. That's the worst, isn't it? Where you where you've got four out of the five words, and you've got three guesses left, and there's five different options. Uh, yeah, this is. Um, I mean, it was one of those things where you look at that and you go, "Oh, good." There's only one letter, and you look at all the letters that are left and go, "I could make ten words out of this." Thing. It, it could be this, 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 or this, and I've only got this, this, and this to try. Yes. Uh, so so luck comes into it. Oh, uh, I'm at 23 so far uh, of a streak, and I haven't. I, I've I've hit. I, I I've had to hit it on the sixth guess once. The rest of the time, I've been able to have at least a little bit of a cushion, so I didn't. I didn't uh, have to risk you know the the ritual sabuku knife. Well, I uh, I I think I had. I think I've gone to six twice actually. Um, the the good news is though that my streak on Folklach is uh, is still <laughs> ongoing at, at six. Yes. Six days in a row. Um, that's the Irish language version of Wordle. Of Wordle, yes. Yeah, one of my one of my friends, one of my Irish language friends, um, we were talking about Wordle and folklore on uh, a couple of nights ago, and he says, "You know, I never knew that I I knew so many six letter words in either language." Um, <laughs> the the, the folklore thing is it five letters or six? Oh, it's five. It's five, but I mean, you start looking at these yeah. words and go, "Oh, it could be this," and you re- realize, "Oh, wait a minute, no, no that's six just, letters." That's six letters, six letter words. Six letter um, words. So, so folklore's got to be a, a piece of cake because there aren't any le- there aren't any words in in Gaelic under eight letters, right? Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, <laughs> it's a, it's it's a narrow it's a narrow it's a narrow group, right? It's a narrow group. Five right. five letter words are are a narrower group, I think, in Irish and and and. And maybe uh, it would have been worse before the spelling reform of the 1950s. The spelling reform. Yes, there was actually a spelling reform in Irish in the I believe it was in the 1950s where they oh, knocked the out. the scandal of the of, of the spelling reform. I I was unaware of that. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they knocked out a lot of the um, uh, nonverbal parts of words <laughs> in order to simplify the spelling. And uh, etymologists were outraged, I tell you, because a lot of that stuff would tell you how the word evolved. Man, so. and, and here, and here, I thought the Second Vatican Council was a thing. Oh no, no, this pales in comparison. I mean, you know, the, the, the Latin <laughs> Mass issue pales in comparison to I the see. to the to I the see. massive Irish spelling reforms of the 1950s. All right, but. That's not what people come here to hear about. They're not here to hear about folklore or Wordle probably either, but uh, probably not. But we're happy to talk about either one of those. Uh, we're talking about politics, and I mean, Dwayne, there's so much here going on. Uh, Ukraine, uh, you've got um, the the Supreme Court opening. You've got all sorts of different. Uh, you've got the 
the latest and greatest uh, versions of uh, media bias. I don't know if you saw the Washington Post article on uh, James Clyburn and their and their shot at Clarence Thomas this morning yet or not. Uh, I, ha I haven't even seen that one yet, but that that wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me. Um, I, I'm I'm still I'm still kind of amazed at the double standard of uh, of media accepted mainstream media doxing of people. Apparently, if you donate money to a crowdfunding source that is benefiting the Canadian truckers that is uh, not only going to get hacked so that the donor list goes public, but the media has no problems posting and trying to do gotcha interviews with people uh, about why they donated to, you know, you know neo-Nazis in, in uh, big rigs up uh, north of the border, A. Uh, yet at the same time, you have Black Lives Matter being taken over by Mark Elias and the Hillary Clinton team nationally at the at the local level in Black Lives Matter Louisville, they just bailed out for a hundred thousand dollars. They just bailed out the alleged attempted assassin of a mayoral candidate in Louisville, um, and nobody knows where that money came from. And it's racist and it's wrong to be able to. Uh, look at that donor list and see who's contributing to Black Lives Matter to how they come up with all that kind of money. We, we're, we're not allowed to look at that. That's that's wrong, I tell you. That's wrong, wrong, wrong. But if you donate to, you know, Give, Send, Go or or any of the other crowdfunding sources, you're, you're subject to a Washington Post interviewer uh, or, or reporter calling you up asking what the hell you're thinking. You know, Ilan Omar actually had a uh, pretty interesting tweet on this yesterday. I don't know if you saw this where she uh, I was me... looking I was looking for the other three horsemen of the apocalypse when Ilhan Omar <laughs> came to my side of this argument. Ilhan Omar writes to your rescue. And actually she picked the wrong target because the 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 reporter well, of that course she, she did. The reporter that she tagged was basically talking about how um uh, she was working with the cooperation of the person who donated. And the reason it came up was not so much the hack, but because that restaurant had to close due to, right. th due to threats. Um, but she wasn't, she wasn't far off. Let's just put, let's just, she picked the wrong specific target, but she, she managed to, to she, she, she kind of dumbed into being kind of on the right side of the issue, which she, she was, hasn't yeah. been on anything that I know of. Yeah. That's uh, I, I mean, she can't even get on the right side of the issue of whether or not to marry your brother. Well, that's true, too. But here's what Ilan Omar had to say. I failed to see why any journalist felt the need to report at a shop owner making such an insignificant donation rather than get them harassed. It's unconscionable and journalists, journalists needed to do better. Now, this particular shop owner apparently cooperated with the Ottawa uh, citizen, the, Allison Ma. But there is the Washington Post was using hacked data to to pepper uh, donors with, you know, uh, you know, calls for responses to. Uh, to their reporters and they the, the post used that data i think it was earlier in the day or, or it may have been late on uh, tuesday to um do a deep analysis of the donors to the canadian truckers and which zip codes they all came from and uh, <laughs> and, right. and and to your point you know we had we've had two years of black lives matter uh rallies turning into violence and i'm not saying that the violence came from blm but, I mean, there's certainly been a correlation there. You've got 
yesterday and that, BLM and, and, bailing and, and, out somebody who was for a hundred thousand dollars a hundred thousand dollars they just wrote a cashier's check and went down and slapped it on the counter to pop that guy out of jail Quintez Brown who uh who tried you to mean, assassinate mean, a a a prominent Jewish Democrat mind a you. prominent a prominent Jewish Democrat for not being uh, anti-police enough, allegedly. Uh, this this alleged uh, attempted assassin uh, being a, a previous guest on MSNBC on air of Joy Reid at a at a gun rights rally of all places. Yep. Yeah, he was a longtime columnist for the uh, Louisville uh, Courier Journal. And, and when and, and and when the and when the the Courier Journal wrote up the story, they 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 in the first sentence they branded him as a Louisville activist. That that's that's how they referred yeah. to him at first. And then you go way deep down in the story. Then they say, well, technically, for disclosure, he was an intern at the Louisville Courier Journal. No, he and started then, and, as an intern. That's the thing. He started as an intern, oh, but he I became know, a columnist. Yeah, I I understand that, but they didn't say what he was. They they just said, well, he was an intern at the Louisville Courier Journal, and then he was also an opinion editor. He was a you know a, he was an opinion editorialist. Yeah, but um, but but you know what, Dwayne? That wasn't even the worst take. <laughs> no, it wasn't. The worst. You got to go to Las Vegas for the worst. You got to go all the way out that to Las Vegas. That was spectacular. Because what the happened Las... in Vegas is not going to stay in Vegas. The Las Vegas Sun. Go ahead. The Las Vegas Sun. Uh, they they have revised their editorial. Yeah, way, barely. <laughs> which ain't much better, mind you. But uh, after this guy attempted to uh, shoot a Democrat Jewish mayoral candidate in Louisville. Everybody knows who this guy is. The Courier Journal wrote the story of who he is and what his political leanings are. Everybody else has started to write it up. Now, mainstream media, by and large, uh, on air, you know, the CNNs, the MSNBCs, because of who this guy turned out to be, it's nowheresville, right? They're not going to cover this in a million years because it it not only makes them look bad by by in MSNBC's take uh, uh, case by direct uh, linkage, but it's just it's a bad narrative. We're not going to cover the story. We're going to memory hole it. But everybody knows who this guy is. Yesterday, the Las Vegas Sun comes out with an editorial. You know, the paper's editorial, not not by one person. This is on behalf of the entire paper's editorial board, and they said. It's things like this. It's things like this this uh, shooter and this event that just goes to show what a problem we have in this country with uh, right wing extremist rhetoric and and uh, extreme republicanism. And it's like, um, you know, this guy's like way out on the left, right? You know, he was a guest on Joy Reid's show on MSNBC. Joy Reid doesn't have a lot of Republicans on her show. She doesn't have a lot of hateful right-wing rhetoric on her show. She doesn't feature it. She doesn't, she doesn't really give it a lot of voice. And um, it was just, it was so nonsensical. I mean, even Tom Bevan, our friend over at uh, Real Clear Politics, um, got a hold of this and said, what the hell is this? I mean, it, it, it's so absurd of a, of a hot take. 
as to be inexplicable. Well, the Las Vegas Sun got pounded all day yesterday. And they came out and they revised their editorial. And they said, so while we can't exactly show evidence that he was um, motivated by right-wing rhetoric, it nevertheless shows that we have right-wing hate rhetoric that leads people to do all sorts of things. And they went on with the rest of their 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 narrative. You know, na- na- facts be damned, we have a narrative. The narrative is all hate in this country is is originated from the right, and that's what has to be destroyed. It's it's otherworldly, Ed. It's just crazy. Well, and not only that, but I mean, if you read, it's silly. If you read the, even if you read the edits, I mean, the edits are nonsensical. Now, this is what the this is the original. First off, the original lead is still in there. A terrifying incident in Louisville, Kentucky, this week revealed the dangers of the talk coming from the right about civil war and political violence. Now, they're edited. Their edited version of this doesn't change that at all. Tom Bevan, you know, from um, Real Color Politics, Politics, good friend of ours, um, highlighted these two paragraphs in the original editorial. The alleged shooter, a 21-year-old political activist, was arrested near the scene and later charged with an attempted murder along with four counts of wanton endangerment. While there's been no indication yet that the activist had ties to any right-wing organizations, the shooting comes... Stop. (laughs) Nor will there ever no, be but I evidence. Mean, why would you even write this if there isn't if if there if you can't demonstrate those kinds of ties? Anyway, the the shooting comes amidst a rise against politi- in threats against politicians fueled by increasingly violent rhetoric coming from extremist Republicans. I mean, this is the Sarah Palin editorial all over again. Uh, yes. This is this is what they changed that paragraph to. <clears throat> While it's been reported that the activist was involved in the Black Lives Matter and gun safety movements, and there has been no indication yet that he had any ties to any right-wing organizations, the shooting comes amid a rise in threats against politicians fueled by increasingly violent rhetoric coming from extremist Republicans. So, so fine. <laughs> we, we, we put the disclaimer in there that technically he had affiliations with these groups, but our narrative remains the narrative, and... It, it's just it's just outrageous it's just outrageous. Well, it's, it's nonsense it's nonsense how many times have you seen black lives matter any chapter or the national edition of black lives matter when's the last time that black lives matter popped a right-wing republican extremist when's the last time that black lives matter popped a uh, a january uh, 6th protester at the capitol uh, out of jail for a hundred thousand dollars and and freedom on bond. When's when's the last time that happened? Did did they take did they take Viking boy from from the Capitol and and pop him free on on a, on a bond? Nope. Although to be fair, there are people who are who are who are doing this right. There are there are groups that are trying to bail these these folks out. Are Black Lives Matter doing that? Nope. Nope. No, they are oh. not. So, so Black Lives Matter is it, it, it. So, so they're not bailing out people that are on the right, right? No, no, they're not so, bailing anybody out on the right. I can guarantee you that. Neither so, is Kamala Harris's bail project. Remember so, Kamala so Harris's would, bail project? In, in yes. Yeah, so, so, so that would lead you to believe that this guy is not a member of the far right. Yes, he's he's definitely. Which makes the Las Vegas Sun full of excrement. Yeah, maybe even more full of excrement than usual. I mean, I, I suspect that I suspect that if this is if this is the it, the level of intellectual honesty you can expect from the Las Vegas Sun, then we're done here. There, there's there, there, there's nothing that can be salvaged. No, no, this is this is an unsalvageable situation. And the, the what they should have what, what they should have revised this to was 
the my cousin Vinny uh, opening statement. Um, <laughs> everything we just said was bullshit. Thank you. <laughs> I thought we couldn't say that on this here podcast. Um, I'll, I'll ask him to bleep it. I guess maybe we shouldn't <laughs> say. Maybe I shouldn't say that on this here podcast. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's part of the context that's percolating around right now, and you're seeing this same sort of double standard hypocrisy thing going on in, in the story that we just got done talking about, which is the, uh, you know, the donors to the Canadian truckers and, and how right. the media is responding to this. It's all part of the same hypocrisy. Um, they're, they're fully willing to investigate one side, uh, but then claim that, you know, hacked materials means you can't talk about the other thing when it happens to like Hunter and Biden. Still, and still, of course, maintaining this, this, this fantasy that, oh, we're not biased at all. We're the only ones that are neutral. The only biased people in the media are Fox News. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, all right. Uh, from that, though, we go to dead dogs. I know you've been, you know, I, I had to call in sick last night. I know it's going to come up on tonight's after show at the Universe, but let's just get this out of the way. Let's talk dead dogs. <laughs> well, it's just a, it's just it's a great. fun. It, it's great. It's fun. No, I'm, I'm, I'm totally. It's a fun it's... story all the way around. Okay. Here's, here's the quick setup. This is uh, two days ago. This is in the morning. Joe Biden, before he addresses the nation on uh, what the hell's going on with Ukraine and Russia, of which he really, you know, he, he made a, a, a fine enough statement, I guess. He took no questions. Nobody still really knows what the hell's going on. Uh, but before all that, he goes to the National Association of Counties. Now, this is like an annual thing presidents do. They speak to the National Association of Counties. These are county supervisors, um, uh, county council members, you know, county executives uh, that you have all over the place. This is like going to the National Organization of Mayors or the sure. National Governors Association, right? This is, yeah, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is politics 101. This is just politics bread and butter. 101. This, right, this yeah. is bread and butter. This is the thing. So he goes to this group, National Association of Counties. And as part of his remarks, this is not on the prompter. This is Joe Biden winging it because he thinks he's in front of friends. Here is what Joe Biden had to say. Let me bring this up. And here we go. I got a call one night. A woman said to me, obviously not of the same persuasion as I was politically, called me and said, there's a dead dog on my lawn. And I said, yes, ma'am. I said, have you called the county? He said, yes, they're not here. And I said, well, I'll get them in the morning. She said, I want it removed now. I pay your salary. So I went over. I picked it up. She said, I want it out of my front yard. I put it on her doorstep. Okay, so now, when that clip got cut and it got put up on the tweeties, um, you know, the RNC put it up and a bunch of bunch of places um, put it out there. And, and the natural reaction was, okay, what the hell is this? What, you know, what, what is this guy's problem? You know, just that kind of, you know, instant reaction. I looked at that clip. And I went, that can't possibly be true. It, it just cannot possibly be true the way he's telling it. I have studied this guy now for a long time. And how many times have we seen him craft a narrative about his own bio that turned out, Ed Morrissey, not to be 
100% the gospel truth. How many, how many times has he told things about his, his past that turned out not to be quite accurate? Oh, there's been one or two times, I suppose. <laughs> You remember the story about Joey Baby and the cheeks and the, and the train conductor and oh yeah, the, yeah. And, and how, well, remember and how, remember the Neil remember the Neil Kinnick speeches about his hard scrabble uh, background? Yes, exactly. I mean, he has he has mangled his bio so many times. He's a he's a cipher. Nobody knows who the hell this guy really is. All we really know is to quote the the, the great Ed Morrissey's twenty pounds of bullshit in a ten pound bag. Um, Jonathan, you'll probably have to edit that out. Um, <laughs> now here's, so, so here's what I did. I started looking around going, I wonder, I wonder if there's evidence out there of Joe Biden telling that story before and whether or not that may have been a different version somewhere out there. And he may have gotten some facts wrong. And wouldn't you know, I found a story. I found an article. It was dated January 25th of the year 2021, meaning this was written five days after Joe Biden became president, okay? It is written by a lady named Rachel Looker, and the article is titled, Biden-Harris's Roots Lie in County Government. Now, the location of this article, to this day still, I'm actually amazed it hasn't been scrubbed, but this is on the website of the National Association of Counties. Now, it seems that Joe Biden spoke to this group last year, as he does this year, as he does to the National Governors Association every year, or the National Association of Mayors, because as we established, it's a thing, right? Right. So five days after he gets inaugurated, Rachel Looker writes a puff piece, a flowering this is this is great. This is a guy that's one of us. Before he was a senator, Joe Biden was a county executive in in Delaware. So he's actually one of us. He has he has been part of our group. He has been a guy that has dealt with county government. He Kamala Harris uh, was in county government before she was statewide. Uh, I was unaware that a county uh, a county person served underneath uh, Willie Brown. If you catch uh, the, the, the pith <laughs> of my gist, but never, nevertheless, this was a this was a flower. This is not a gotcha piece. This is a this is a meet Joe Biden, your new president. He's actually one of us. He 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 gets our association. He gets what we do. This is a good guy. And deep down into the story, and this is a, not a hit piece story, deep down in the story, uh, there is a bit where um, current Newcastle County Executive Matt Meyer recalled a story during the December National Association of County Board of Directors meeting that Biden had told him about his time as council member when a constituent ins insisted a dead animal immediately be removed from her street. Note, it's not her lawn, it's, her, it, it's out in the street. Notice this is just a constituent, not a angry Republican, um, you know, that, that Joe Biden was showing his wokeness 40 years ago or, you know, puffing up his chest against. This was just a constituent 
saying she called the county to report a dead animal and, and it was out in her street and there hadn't been a response. And so according to this narrative, Joe Biden arrived in a pickup truck and removed the animal himself that night. Okay, that's the end of the story. Right. Now you see, that's not what we heard Joe Biden say here. What Joe Biden said here, if you believe him, is this angry Republican lady tried to give him grief back in, in 71 because the county wasn't doing their job removing this dead dog from her lawn. And so Joe Biden didn't like her because she was a Republican, came out and she says, I pay your salary. I want this dog removed. He says, well, I'll, I'll give you the middle finger. I'll do you one better. Scoop the dog up and fling the, 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 the dead carcass of the animal under her front porch. Now, if you allow Joe Biden his facts now versus what he has said on the record before, which is totally different. What does that say about the character of Joe Biden that he takes a dead dog and flings it up on the porch and leaves it as a political stunt? Yeah, um, that's 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 the part where the whole thing starts to fall apart, right? I mean, it's a it's Isn't a funny it, line. It's a funny line. He delivers it well, but it just doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't hold together on with any it, level it, of scrutiny. It it really honestly doesn't. He's almost certainly lying about it. And even and if he's well, not wait 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 wait. There's a tell to find out whether Joe Biden's actually lying about something. Uh, did he? Uh, were his lips moving? Yes. Then were. he's lying about it. Of course he is. Of course he is. All so, right. So yeah, I mean, there, there, there's there, there's there's that little bit in there. There's also. Um, Wait a minute! A couple... Is there breaking news coming from the from the universe uh, headquarters there? Uh, you know what you got was um, <laughs> the last of the homework that has to be turned in today by the miscellaneous random person mail edition with which I co-reside. There you go. Uh, that that went off on the printer here in the office. Um, I'm at I'm at the uh, I'm at the home uh, quarters today. You're, you're there. You're at the home hub there. Uh, you know, we have only got a, a, a few minutes left here, Dwayne. So I, I want to just bring in Ukraine real quick before we get to what's coming up on yeah. the Hugh Hewitt Show and tonight's your your fabulous guest on tonight's after show because you got a fantastic yeah. guest coming up tonight. Well, um, unless you pull a COVID card on me again. <laughs> I just want to emphasize I've taken two tests and they're both negative. Yeah, uh, so this that's is, what that's that's what they all say. I, I, I found out. I found out. Uh, <laughs> one was one was the. Uh, the China test and the other one was one I picked up because my wife says, you sure you trust those tests? Like, you know, I'm going to go get, <laughs> I'm gonna go get another one over, over at the pharmacy just to be on the safe side. And, uh, so I did both tests and they're both negative, but um, yeah, the, um, you know, it sure looks like there's going to be an invasion in Ukraine here. You've got reports that there's shelling opening up along the line from the Donbass into Ukraine. Well, the Donbass is Ukraine. But right. into into non-occupied Ukraine, I should say. Look, what what it what it's looking like to me is uh, Putin is setting up the he's setting up the premise, right? He's he's yeah. going to say he's going to say, look, we've got a lot of Russian nationals that live in that part of the country, and and we we have an obligation to protect our citizens from from this random from from this random uh, separatist group that that must be shooting the place up. So if Ukraine's not going to do something to stop this, then then, then by golly, we're going to step in because we're here to protect our citizens, whether they're in Russia or whether they're in 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 this other place. We're gonna we're gonna make sure we protect our citizens' interests and 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 protect their lives. So we're gonna storm in and, and make sure we are their protector and take on the separatist groups. Uh, that I mean that's their premise to go in. 
Right, and they've already started. I mean, Putin already mentioned genocide happening in Ukraine, and that he has an, you know he has a responsibility to protect uh, ethnic Russians. Um, and uh, you know, some of that echoes some of the language that the U.S. used, and you know, to to decapitate the uh, Gaddafi regime in Libya, of course. Sure, sure does, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Um, and uh, right now, uh, just as we're talking, as uh, AFP reports, Russia will, quote, will be forced to respond, including with military technical measures, end quote, if no U.S. security, security guarantees. Uh, that's a quote from the Russian foreign ministry. So, yeah, they're, 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 they're turning the screws here. They really, yeah. want, they really, really, really want us to, uh, to, to commit to the fact that NATO will not, or that NATO will not, uh, will not adopt Ukraine as a member um and probably that well, they want us to they i mean earlier the demand was that we retreat to the um 20 pre-2017 lines nato retreat to the pre-2017 lines which would mean romania and bulgaria i believe uh that's not going to happen no that won't happen or or it shouldn't but i guess with joe biden you know god only knows i mean no, we're no, still no, no. europe europe would never europe would never strip romania and bulgaria i, of, I, I of can't imagine i can't no. imagine they would no that's not happening. But, I mean, really, for, for Putin's purposes, he doesn't need them to. What he really wants is Ukraine as the buffer he, state. He wants a bigger path to the port, and he wants, he wants, to, topple, he wants to topple Zelensky. He wants, a, he wants a puppet state out of, out of Ukraine that he can control. And, that's, and he's well on his way. Yep. Yep. Yep, I agree. All right. Well, that's what's going on right now in the world. Um, dead dogs and, uh, Putin, uh, maybe that's the title for the dead dogs and Putin. That's the podcast title right there. All right. What's coming up on tomorrow's Hugh Hewitt show? Well, tomorrow, um, seeing that, uh, we are, you know, within a, a, a Nat's eyelash of seeing war on, on the continent of Europe, right? Uh, could be any time today. It could be tomorrow. Uh, we're going to have a special edition uh, interview with Admiral James Stavridis, who actually used to be the Supreme Commander of NATO, yep. um, among other things. And uh, so we're going to get Stav, uh, Admiral Stav's uh, take on what's going on or what he sees and what he thinks is going to happen next. Well, that's going to be good. And uh, I advise everybody to tune in on Friday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, 5 a.m. in God's Time Zone, 3 a.m. on the left coast. If you're a member of the universe, you can not just watch the Hugh Hewitt show uh, live, uh, but you can also watch the after show live where Dwayne is going to have a fabulous guest on tonight's show, Thursday's show. Who's your fabulous guest for tonight's show, Dwayne? Well, traditionally, Ed Morrissey is my guest on Wednesday nights, uh, but because he pulled the old uh, you know, COVID, COVID central uh, bit last night and, and took a powder, uh, we're going to do the double dip. Uh, we start the day with me on Ed's show, and then we do the home-and-home home version where I get to uh, run Ed through the gauntlet, and uh, he's my guest, and we're not uh, committed to the same constraints of time, and and uh, we'll go through wherever the news is at. I mean, we may be at war. We may spend the whole time on what's going on in Ukraine. Yep. Biden, hell, Biden may give a speech. We may go down that route hole for a while. Who knows? Wherever the news goes, that's where we're going to go tonight. Well, there you go. Tune in at 8 p.m. Eastern time in the universe. Join the universe if you haven't already done so. And if you aren't a member of the universe, you're going to have to listen to the Hugh Hewitt Show on the AM radio dial. Dwayne, what should people do if they can't find it on the AM radio dial? 
Well, you find a, a station where we belong and you go into that, uh, that general manager's office and you say, look, buddy, I've got a dead dog here. Don't make me fling this on your porch. <laughs> I was going to say that you, 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 you stage a provocation, um, a, 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 a shelling from a shelling from another radio station and that you, 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 you have treat, to seize it. You have to seize you, that a radio station. As, as, you, you, you treat the station's kitchen like the Don boss. <laughs> exactly. That's it's exactly. It's the Don boss all over again. That's how, <laughs> that's how you deal with this situation. All right. So be sure to tune in to the Hugh Hewitt show. Um, you can also listen to the audio at Hugh Hewitt.com. If you miss it, uh, any other place. And of course they podcast and you can get those through the universe. Dwayne Journalismo Patterson. Thanks for being with us early on a Thursday morning. And I'll see you tonight, sir. See you in a few hours. Thanks, guys. All right. Stand by for more from the Ed Morrissey Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show. Joining me now is author Jason Riley. He has a new book out called The Black Boom. And he is here to talk to us about this. It's a new uh, release out from Templeton Press. Just came out at the beginning of the month. And uh, he's uh, so it's been out for about a week, Jason. And... Uh, uh, you tell me the book's doing pretty well. We're going to hopefully uh, get a few more copies sold right here. Sure. Sounds good. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for joining us. And look, I mean, I follow economics. You know, I, I, I follow it. And I, I always like to say that the numbers speak for themselves, right? Um, that uh, if you understand what, what numbers mean, that they're not they're neither, you know, partisan nor biased. You can pretty much you can pretty much understand uh, economics on just simply an objective level. And I, 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 I'm assuming that's the, that's, that's your process on this as well, that, uh, you're actually just relying on the data here to, uh, to, uh, make this argument about the, um, economic advancement of black Americans during the Trump years. You're right. I, I, I do believe that the uh, numbers speak for themselves. I'm trying to take an empirical approach laying out the data, but um, someone has to report those numbers, Ed. And, and one of the reasons I wrote this book is I, I think it's an underreported story, what was taking place um, economically for blacks uh, prior to the pandemic under Trump. Um, the media had presented the, the former president as a, a bigot, someone whose policies were gonna work to the detriment of, of blacks and Hispanics and other low-income groups. And in fact, the opposite happened. And, and, they, and they didn't report that accurately. They played it down uh, when they reported it at all. And, and I thought that um, uh, that was really journalistic uh, malpractice. Um, and, and they had an agenda. They felt that the real story, the numbers, as you mentioned, would have undermined that agenda. So they kept quiet about it. And, and I wanted to tell that story. And I think it's important to tell because you know, Joe Biden, the current president, wants to take us back to um, reverse a lot of those policies that I believe Trump put in place to the benefit of these groups. And so people should know what actually transpired, uh, both uh, in terms of wages, in terms of um, uh, unemployment, in terms of poverty. They should know the story before they sign off on this president taking us back to uh, uh, the pre-Trump uh, economy. By the way, I should mention that Jason Riley has a website. It's jasonreillyonline.com. So in case you want to find out more about what, what else Jason's written, this is his fifth book. So if you want to find out more about Jason Riley, you can go to jasonreillyonline.com. Uh, what were the major features? I mean, what, was the, what, was, what do you think were the major policies? Let me put it this way. The major policy uh, choices that Donald Trump made 
that Joe Biden is reversing, which impacted uh, black Americans and Hispanic Americans for that matter. Sure, sure. You know, I should back up a little bit. This this book is really about a working class boom. I agree. Speaking. I, I am, I am not, so glad you said it, that because I yeah, totally yeah, agree yeah. with that. It's, yeah. it's, it just so happens that blacks and Hispanics are overrepresented among the working class. So, so the economic boom I'm talking about redounded to the benefit of them more so than, than other groups. But, but what Trump did uh, in terms of his policies was really to the benefit of America's working class writ large. And, 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 and what he did was grow the economy. He cut taxes on corporations. They were dismissed on the left as tax cuts for the rich, of course. But what that did was incentivize companies to bring money back from overseas, reinvest it here, in this country, uh, and and people got hired, uh, productivity increased, um, and that that's what happens when companies invest domestically and have an incentive to do so. He also uh, lifted regulations. He lightened the regulatory burden on corporate America, and again, that redounded to the benefit of the working class, particularly in the manufacturing sector, uh, the service economy, and and, and other working class jobs. And so that's what happened. And what we saw were wages among blacks growing at faster rates than wages among whites. We saw record low unemployment, uh, black unemployment, record low black poverty. Um, uh, so the track record is, is, is quite, <laughs> quite plain when you look, as you said, at the numbers. And it's also to remember, good to remember how bad blacks had it under Obama. Um, the, the, the black unemployment rate did not fall below double digits until the seventh year of the Obama presidency. Uh, right. So, so you know, that's one of the reasons I think, although Trump lost the 2020 election, his, his performance among blacks and Hispanics went up appreciably. And I think one of the reasons is that uh, a lot of blacks, a lot of Hispanics, men in particular, um, were seeing fatter paychecks prior to the pandemic and, and plentiful jobs. And, and, and they remembered that when they went to the ballot box. You know, Trump was for reopening the economy. And these were folks who couldn't work from home. You know, they worked right. in the service sector, um, hospitality and so forth. And the president's emphasis on reopening the economy, I think, really resonated with them. Well, I agree. And, and I think that subsequent developments from the election um, bear this out. And I mean, I'm going to put my tongue partly in my cheek here, Jason, because um, at the same day that you and I are talking, uh, Democratic pollster Stanley Greenberg wrote in the um, not at all conservative American prospect, <laughs> okay, right. um, talking about the Democrats working class problem. And this is I'm, I'm going to quote uh, I'm going to quote this uh, for you. Today, the Democrats' working-class problem isn't limited to white workers. The party is also losing support from working-class blacks and Hispanics, adopting 12 points off their margins since 2016, according to Rui Teixeira. Um, even before last November's election, talking about the Virginia election here, commentators and analysts were pointing to the erosion of Democrats' working-class support. And, I mean, this is exactly what you are talking about in the black boom. And, again... So we're, it, this is a class issue more than it's a race issue, Absolutely. but it's about economics that are oriented to the working class. And Stanley Greenberg is trying to send off flares to Democrats and saying, "You guys have, you guys are leaving an entire class of workers that you that you claim to champion behind." And you're, you're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and you know this book is not a defense of Donald Trump's personality, not right. a defense of his Twitter feed. 
It is a defense of free market economic principles, which I argue work to the benefit of racial and ethnic minorities better than wealth redistribution policies and, 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 and racial preferences, which is what was emphasized by Obama before Trump and what is now being emphasized by Biden after Trump. And uh, you know, they just don't work as well. I think the record is very clear. Uh, and and one, one thing that worries me is, is that Joe Biden wants to take us back to uh, the policies that we saw under Obama that resulted in this, this slow growth that we saw under Obama. Uh, you know, everyone says, well, Obama inherited a recession from George W. Bush, which is true. But historically, the deeper the recession, the more robust the recovery. Right. That's been the post-war record. Yet we got the slowest economic recovery in the post-war period under Barack Obama. And, and, and I don't want to go back to those days. I don't want to go back to double-digit Black unemployment rates. Um, I want the fast growth that we saw under Donald Trump prior to the pandemic. And I'm worried that Obama's going to take us or that uh, Biden's going to take us back to the bad old days. Well, I think that what you're seeing here in the first year of the Biden administration is a replay of the type of economics that uh, economic policies, I should say, yeah. that uh, Barack Obama put in place. I mean, you have a massive stimulus package to mm -hmm. deal with an economic crisis, mm -hmm. uh, which ends up missing the mark widely. And yeah. in this case, touched off a inflationary wave that practically everybody except the White House expected to have happen after this, you know, the, the third massive stimulus uh, bill passed in really uh, the same time frame as the 2009 stimulus in, in Obama's presidency. It's almost like a, it's almost like a replay of what happened in 2009, it's only with worse outcomes. It's, a, it's exactly a replay. The other thing you have is this effort, uh, at least in the Build Back Better uh, legislation, um, to expand the welfare state. Tremendous expansion of the welfare state, not just for the poor, but well into the middle class, yeah. into households that are a six-figure six figure income households with, with child tax credits and paid family leave and all the rest. This is a horrible, horrible idea. There is a worker shortage out there already. There are millions more jobs available than there are people looking for work right now. The last thing we need is more incentives for people not to return to the labor force. It's going to affect our productivity as a country going forward if we have fewer workers. But that is exactly what the Biden administration is trying to incentivize uh, Americans to do. Stay home. We'll send you a check in the mail. It's, it's exactly the wrong message. And it's yet again another replay of what we saw under Obama. Why do you think then that, um, you know, I mean, this is this is an age old question, Jason, and I, I mean, it goes beyond economics because this goes into culture and all all sorts of other things. But in, in an economic sense only, why do you think that black voters remain as attached to Democrats? Because Democrats are, are really the party of the social safety net, right? They're the party. I mean, I, Barack Obama wasn't a wasn't an anomaly in that sense, and neither was Joe Biden in that sense. I mean, certainly they're trying to expand it. But having seen free market policies being put in place and seeing some benefit from from that, why do you think it is so difficult for the economic message to uh, to move black voters from from even into a position of um, what would be a good good way to put this of um, openness? to to change well it's it's not a phenomenon unique to black voters um That's you know the point. old the old the old joke is that um you know uh jews earn like episcopalians and vote like puerto ricans 
Um, you, you also have the, the, you know, the Hollywood left out in, out in uh, 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 California in Tinseltown um, voting for politicians that are going to raise their taxes and take more of their money away. It's not in their economic interest to vote for progressives, but they do. Uh, more recently, uh, in 2020, you had a ballot initiative uh, in California that would have reinstated racial preferences in colleges out in California. It was overwhelmingly defeated and leading the charge were Asian Americans who know that they are harmed by these racial preference policies. But those same Asian Americans overwhelmingly supported Joe Biden and, 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 and his running mate in the last election. So people vote on different issues and, and blacks are no different. Um, uh, as outsiders, we may look at a group and say, why do they vote that way? Don't they understand what's best for them or something? But I wouldn't be that presumptuous. And many yeah. groups over time uh, have regularly voted against what an outsider might consider their best interest. But, you know, people are voting for different reasons. Well, I wanted to get your, your take on that. I wrote about this a little bit in, in a book that I wrote about five years ago or six years ago. And uh, I, I had a chance to talk to some uh, black conservatives um, and 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 just black voters in general is, is part of this. It wasn't really the prime focus of the book, but it became sort of a major theme in it. And I mean, the, the simple answer is Republicans don't show up, right? They're not part of the community. There's that. And, there's and that. they're simply not making these arguments. Um, yeah. And so, You're I mean, right. that, I mean, that's, that's a big part of it. So, I mean, I just, I, it but, is. I, but your, yeah. but your, but your argument is really good on this is that uh, again, it's, it, People say, well, voters vote their pocketbooks, but that's not true. They vote their values. And mm -hmm. un unless you're talking to people, you can't understand what their values are. You're never going to be able to make a political argument. But, but the point you make about showing up is, is, is as important, if not more important than the point um, I was making about people voting on, on, on different interests. Republicans uh, have tended to write off this vote. Yep. They do not show up in the communities when they're campaigning. They do not uh, show up at the barbershop at the community center. They don't advertise on black radio or black Twitter or black Facebook. Um, they have to start doing this. There are, there are exceptions to this rule. I don't wanna paint with too broad a brush, but typically um, Republicans do not show up. And what that does, it creates this vacuum that allows their democratic opponent to paint them as the devil incarnate. And there's no pushback. Um, yeah. And so, yes, I think that uh, uh, if, if Republicans would bother to go into these communities and talk about um, why they think their policies will leave these communities better off than they've been, I think they'll find some receptive ears there, but they have to take that, that first step and, and actually go introduce themselves. Absolutely, couldn't agree with you more. Um, Jason, now you talk a little bit about immigration. Of course, this is one of the, this was really Donald Trump's biggest issue in the 2016 campaign, biggest domestic issue in the 2016 campaign, really even beyond economics. It was about building mm -hmm. the border, shutting down immigration. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of people in his administration that didn't even want legal Im immigration. They really just wanted it frozen. Um, do you think that that is, um, do you think that that helped contribute to the economic boost here? Or do you think that the immigration, uh, do you think that the economic argument on immigration is overblown? Probably the latter, as I read the, the data. Um, now, this is not to say that um, controlling illegal immigration shouldn't be a priority. Right. We're a sovereign, we're a sovereign country. We should decide who comes here and on what terms. And, and the, the immigration laws that we have in place should work to the benefit of the people who live here first, not the people who want to come. And so I, I, I think that um, people are understandably concerned about a border that's out of control 
and that politician should prioritize uh, uh, controlling uh, the border and, 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 and tamping down the chaos that we see down there. What I address in the book, however, is the impact of immigrant labor on black economic advancement. Right. And that's where I do not see um, the data showing that immigrants have a huge impact on the economic advancement of blacks. Just the simplest way to look at this is that, you know, there were no mass deportations under Donald Trump. The, the size of the illegal population in this country uh, continued to grow. It grew at a slower rate than it did under o Obama and his predecessors, but it did continue to grow. So all of this economic advancement that I'm describing in the book took place with all of these illegal immigrants already in the country and all the legal immigrants still already in the country. If it was necessary, if, if a necessary precondition for black advancement was, was getting rid of immigrants or reducing immigrants or, or getting rid of all the illegal immigrants first, there'd be no book. I wouldn't be able to write about this. All of this happened. And, and, and you know, people argue over how many illegal immigrants are here. Some people say 10, 12. Some people say, no, it's double that. I say, pick your number. All of this economic advancement happened with all of them here. Right. So I, I, I don't see the argument that, that uh, 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 immigrants, immigration, legal or illegal, is having a huge impact economically on the prospects of Black Americans. And again, I want to stress, that doesn't mean I'm in favor of illegal immigration. Right. That's the <laughs> reason why does, I asked it yeah, in terms yeah, of yeah, the yeah, economics, yeah. right? Right, because, right, right, yeah. right. It's, a, it's an economic point that I'm making. Right, and it's the same thing. It, it's, it's, it's the same thing about voting. Voting is about more than economics. So, yes. you know, uh, yeah. you and I are talking yeah. economics, so we're, we're going to be narrow on that, but, but, but re yeah. recognizing that there are broader issues out there in that. So yeah. let's get back to the economics we hear a lot about inequality. We hear a lot about um, inequality uh, in terms of race, in terms of class too, working class versus, uh, you know, uh, wealth acquisition, you know, over generations. There's there's certainly some data there. You've taken a hard look at this data. Tell us what you see uh, in terms of what the data says about economic disparities. And if if we're going to address it, through policy, what policies are best to address those issues? Well, what we can do is look at, at history uh, in this country, and we can look at when in history uh, Blacks were advancing faster or slower. And as I point out in the book, um, the period in US history when Blacks were experiencing the fastest economic gains over a long period of time is between uh, the late 1940s, the post-war period, and the early 1970s. Now, you think about what was going on culturally in this country in the 1940s right. and 50s. This is Jim Crow. This is legal uh, segregation. This is when you could put a sign in your window that said, we don't hire Blacks, or you can't live in this neighborhood. And it was okay. Yet over this period, the 50s, the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s, Blacks saw their strongest economic gains in this country. It was also a period when Blacks had very little political clout in this country, in terms of senators, obviously in terms of a president, mayors of big cities, and so forth, which tells me that the people who are focused on racial preferences, the people who are focused on wealth redistribution, are not focusing on the types of things that have traditionally led to faster Black economic advancement. The reason Blacks were advancing during the period I just described is because the economy was very, very strong during that time period. And then Blacks themselves were able to take care of the rest, despite all the other barriers. The most important factor 
was a strong growing economy. And I think that what we saw in those first three years under Trump before the pandemic was another strong economy. And the result was the same, shrinking inequality, shrinking racial inequality, economic inequality, and, 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 and amazingly, black wages rising at faster rates than whites, record low black unemployment, record low black poverty. Just to give you a quick comparison, the low income blacks, um, uh, or not just low income blacks, low income Americans yeah. uh, saw their wages rising uh, during the first three years of the Trump presidency at double the rate that they were rising during Obama's second term. So what we saw under Trump was not just a continuation of what was going on under Obama, as some people argue. It was an acceleration. Despite all the, the expectations at the time, you know, Larry Summers, the Federal Reserve, the Congressional Budget Office, oh, we're going into a recession. Oh, you know, we're at the end of a business cycle. We can't get any more growth out of this economy. That is the, those are the expectations that Trump took office under. He defied all of them. Uh, and, and I think it's something we ought to keep in mind here because Biden wants to reverse a lot of these policies. He wants to raise the taxes that Trump cut. He wants to re-regulate the uh, sectors of the economy that Trump deregulated. And I fear that if he does that, we're going to get those pre-Trump economic results. Jason Riley, I really appreciate you spending some time with us. The book is The Black Boom, uh, jasonreillyonline.com is his website. You can go to templetonpress.org to buy The Black Boom, or you can go to amazon.com, I'm assuming, Jason, and, and buy it there. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today, sir. We're, we're going to come right back with more from The Ed Morrissey Show. <laughs>